So hello and welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, uh, episode 5. Um, we've had some uh, great feedback over this last week about last week's episode with Louise of Foundation of Hearts. If you've not heard that episode already, go back and check that out. Uh, and uh, today we're going to be going across to the other side of Edinburgh and to talk to a Hibs fan. Uh, more about that later. Um, but before we get into that, Andrew, what have you been up to this week? Um... What have I been up to this week? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> you have been doing something, haven't you? I have been doing something. Um, what have I been doing? All sorts of stuff. You know me. Always busy. Yeah, busy. busy. Hands uh, in many pies. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, I really have to actually think about what I've done this week, but uh, it's just... It's, I'm going on holiday next week. You're going on holiday. Ah, so it's, it's just getting ready for you. Know, That's it. Clear, so clearing, clearing, clearing the decks. My, clearing my to-do list. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Um, really just getting my feet back under the table at work after, after two and a half weeks off. Um, catching up with the email inbox, the standard stuff like that, but I've also found a little bit of time to do a bit more work on the uh, Sports Direct Scotland Index. Mm. Um, so let's move over to our new format. Good, and good plug for that, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Get, go, go to our website, check that yeah, out. Yeah, it's on the it's on both the Scottish uh, uh, Sports Direct Scotland website and the Scottish Supporters Network uh, website. We've got links to that there. Um, so have a look at that. And, and, the, and the last time I saw you, you were off to buy a pair of wellies. Yeah, I was off to buy a pair of wellies for a trip up to Sky. Thankfully, I didn't have to use the wellies. I, I did buy them, though, and uh, I got home and I was insulted for my choice of wellies. Mm. Uh, my wife told me that they were like something our dad would wear. Mm. Uh, so she promptly phoned him and told him that I had a good <laughs> pair of wellies now. Uh, but I didn't need them over the weekend. I, I put the hiking boots on, which was my plan in the first place, and I wore them instead. Uh, but a lovely weekend to finish off the, the Christmas New Year holidays uh, up in Sky. Episode five. We've made it this far. Yeah, we've done well. We've done, done well. well. We almost ticked off the fingers on one hand. We're um, up. Yeah. Um, we're, hopefully, we're getting better at it as well. I'd like to think um, so. We're going yeah. to take a slight diversion away from our, our first four. We're all about fan ownership. Slight um, divot away to uh, we're talking about uh, ticketing issues in Scottish football and perhaps some of the wider issues affecting uh, Scottish football. So, this week, we're, we're starting off with a uh, a man that I've been following on Twitter for, for many a year provides endless enjoyment to me. He always manages to perk up my day when I see one of his tweets that absolutely ripping into something or other. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's a gr- good episode. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to speak to Duncan Mackay. Um, let's just move over to the, po- to, the, to the interview right now. Here we go. So this week we're speaking to a man who set up 42 Grounds, a blog about Scottish football and his adventures around it. He's a contributor and regular on the Terrace podcast and has an opinion about pretty much everything. He's certainly one of the most amusing people I follow on Twitter and a big hi Welcome to the show, Mr. Duncan McKay. Hi there, how are we doing? We're good, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, yeah. Smashing. Good, good, good. We're going to be talking about your piece and your arguments for why the SPFL should introduce a centralised ticketing system. But before that, my favourite thing about your Twitter account is your... Your one-man uh, vendetta against uh, Agent Scotland inside the know. This was a new one on me. I, Andrew was just showing me this before we got on the call with you, uh, and it was uh, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I should probably grow up. I think it's part, part of it, but uh, it's it, it's one of those aggravating things that you spend a lot of time on social media. That you see. Um, charlatans uh you know being hailed and engaging and, and given some sort of authority and yeah it's, it was kind of these things one of these things that annoyed me and i just thought actually you know that's uh I'll, i'm gonna just start taking what he says and, and ridiculing it um and uh, it seems to have used some people but uh but at the same time 
uh, he's the one with significantly more followers than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How long has that vendetta been going on? Uh, I think I think maybe le- less than a year, to be honest. It was one of those accounts <laughs> where I just um, I just saw it pop up every so often. You were being retweeted by people, and and you were just like you're. You're, you're pretending to be a football agent here, and I don't really. Uh, you, you're, you're cribbing information here from from journalists, and I know that journalists get a, a very hard time on on uh, on Twitter and the, uh, the social media more generally. And I just thought this is you're you're, tr- you're trying to take credit for other people's hard work, um, and so yeah, it kind of just uh, ventured from there, and, and um, just this ridiculous idea that he attends all these games across Scotland, uh, despite. Uh, no evidence suggests that he actually is, aside from maybe games at Celtic Park, where I'm pretty sure he has a, a season ticket. <laughs> um, let's let's delve straight into your your piece because I think um, it seemed to get a very good reception. It seems to be something when you see something like that and you go, "That's common sense. Why don't we Why don't we adopt that?" So, where was your? I mean, what was the sort of inspiration or spark for wanting to write the uh, the article? And I suppose perhaps actually, could you outline what the article was about? Yeah, so I, where where did it come from? I mean, I suppose I've always been uh, interested from really from a really early age uh, about how football, uh, kind of especially Scottish football, uh, not markets itself, but just uh, it does fan engagement and things like that. And I think probably the earliest example of that is you know, uh, when I was younger, being quite into ice hockey, and we would be on a family holiday to, uh, to in, in Florida, and we went to see a. Uh, an ice hockey game there, and it was um, the Orlando Solar Bears, uh, now, now defunct, um, probably for having a terrible name. Uh, <laughs> but just seeing how they um, they did, the, how easy they made it for a family from Scotland to come to a game and, and, and watch it, um, but also what they did as part of that. So it's always been something that's kind of ticked around in, in my mind, um, and then just you know the more uh, you, you go to events and things and you see how things work and, and what struck me was was really you know, Scottish football is a, uh, a 21st century product but still using 19th century technology mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think that having you know bought tickets for several things over the last few years I just thought that there has to be a better way than this and I think what, what sparked it off was I've got a friend down in Bristol who often comes up to, to Scotland for games and they want to go to the semi-final between Motherwell and Celtic um, at Hamden uh, and wants to be in the Motherwell end for well because that was the end that you had tickets in but you were, they weren't able to buy tickets for that um, because they couldn't get to the ticket office in Motherwell and it just seemed that this is a a very uh, strange way of running a business in in twenty eighteen now. Mm. Yeah, I guess I guess rather than removing barriers to people attending games, they're putting them up. Actually, literally, when you thing that that, that popped into my head when you mentioned nineteenth century technology, I was just thinking about the turnstiles. You, you see somebody going through the turnstiles, particularly at older grounds, but some of the modern ones as well. It's like you're you're you're, you're stepping into a cage. You see people squeezing through this horrible, horrible thing. I mean, that must be daunting in itself to people coming to football for the first time. It's like I've got, I'm going through yeah, there. Yeah, Why am I doing that? Especially because a, a, a six foot four um, rotund, uh, rotund <laughs> fat man, uh, yes. Yeah, so especially some of the, the older grounds, it's uh, it's not. Uh, if you if low low and uh, 
if you've got a rucksack on the back on your back, yeah. you're, you're in real trouble. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's right. Is that the part of um, what clubs should be looking at is, is making it as easy as possible for to, to come and, and spend money in your grounds. But also, there's a there's an element of um, that welcome as well. Yeah. Uh, especially now that you, a lot of the time not auto, uh, they're they're automated in some grounds, and so actually that's a, 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 you're missing out an opportunity to to welcome someone to the ground for the first time and and, uh, and what have you. And yeah, I think it's it's one of those things you, you don't want barriers involved in in coming and getting people to watch football. There's a, there's enough barriers as it is in terms of uh, cost and things like that, mm-hmm. but you the, we should be trying to remove as much of them as possible. That's a really good point that you've mentioned there, uh, Duncan, and it's something that I've, I've often overlooked as well, is the kind of potential to sell to tourists, and um, especially within Glasgow and Edinburgh, and you know, opening up that ability and um, having those the ability to buy tickets to somebody that just kind of fancies it rather than having an emotional attachment, but perhaps wants to just experience some Scottish culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's something that... Um that's irritated me for a while, uh, and, and, and that, that was where the line you they aren't on the database came from. Because like, what well, it, well, it, I have been, uh, I was back to back that when I, I couldn't afford it, the you know, Hibs Hearts games during the Edinburgh Festival a couple of seasons ago. I remember being in a pub uh, close to my house, and there was a group of uh, three French tourists that uh, tried to go to the game and tried to buy tickets. Uh, and they could see the, the seats empty on the TV screen in front of us, but they were told that because they, didn't, they weren't already on Hibs's database, which uh, you know, means that you could buy a ticket for that game. And I, I can understand with with big matches like that, but it, it, uh, why there are uh, heightened security elements. But I think I think you can tell when someone's uh, putting on an accent or not. There has to be an element of of common sense involved in it as well. Uh, which had, and, and the flexibility, which I, I sadly, I don't think a lot of our uh, football clubs, and I'm, I'm not mean to mind them because there's an awful lot of people um, doing it on a volunteer basis and things like that. Uh, or, you know, that where the rules are, are so inflexible that they don't work for the fans. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, so, what you're proposing is basically um, the almost a centralised system that the SPFL would control. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't profess to be any uh, sort of IT wizards um, at all, <laughs> actually, uh, as, as uh, setting up this call on, via Skype will can testify. <laughs> but um, I, it, it's more that uh, the back-end operation, to me, doesn't seem like it's such a, a complex thing um, that could have added benefits. I mean, I think if you go, uh, you look at, for example, Major League Baseball, all their tickets are, are uh, ticketing is done the same way, but it's just that uh, you still buy them through the homepage of the team that you support. It's just, in it, but the, the the skinning of the, the website changes, but the 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 back end functions exactly the same. And what we're looking at is not a, a complex issue. You know, it's mm. it's some so, so four stands at most uh, within. Around forty-two clubs, uh, you know, it's it's twenty-one games a weekend. Uh, so there's a, not only would that make it easier in terms of you'd still buy your tickets through the same uh, same function, but you know, there's forty-two ways peers of of selling tickets, and it's actually a really basic transaction. Um, and and that's before you get onto maybe the the potential benefits for for uh, the, the SPFL itself in terms of the data it would then own about its customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because um, that was a really interesting point that you mentioned in your piece. And um, 
obviously we do a bit of work with the SPFL in terms of the supporter survey we do every year with them. But beyond that, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of kind of data collection on, on fans. Is that something that surprises you or are you surprised that clubs, you know, more clubs don't do that kind of um, consultation with their supporters? Uh, it surprises me and it doesn't surprise me, I think, would be uh, my thoughts on that. I think that the data would be hugely useful, I think, to the SPFL as an organisation um, because, obviously, the more you know about your customers, the greater uh, the greater insights you can have with their behaviour. And, frankly, the vast majority of people that are going to games in football are exactly you know, in that uh, 18 to 40 probably male target market, uh, which is which lots and lots of uh, businesses are very interested in and can't really get the data around. Mm. So you have an opportunity there to uh, to survey fans and, and prospective uh, customers that that frankly a lot of businesses would absolutely die for, and that, and that's why it surprises me that lots of clubs haven't tapped into that uh, in the way that they uh, potentially could. But like I said, in Scottish football, there isn't, there isn't a, a, a loads of money kicking about the system. And when I think it'd be harder for clubs uh, in boardrooms to make the, you know, the choice between do we want to you know, proper data analysis of our, uh, of our fan base or do we sign this Centre half, or do we get, or do we have funds to to be able to put together a development loan for for the right back for a right back? Then I'm not, you know, I can I can understand which way the, the board's uh, board will sway. Yeah, my my experience at, at Wraith Rovers, um, we we there's an anecdote that goes round about when Wraith Wraith won the League Cup back in 1994. Uh, we had 11,000 race supporters there on the day, all who bought tickets from the club. And somebody told me a few years later, the club, after after the it was all done and dusted, uh, they just deleted the list of uh, of supporters who'd bought tickets. So they, there was no record of who was there that day. And this drove oh. us this drove us mad for a little while. We were talking about I this, can and, and we and we were trying to do the things that you're talking about. You know, understanding understanding our support and understanding who they are, where they've come from, how often they come to games, uh, and we we came up with this idea of. Um, of putting together a database of, of, of Rover supporters and just gathering as much information we could uh, about them as possible. And then coincidentally, uh, we qualified for the Ramsons Cup final in 2014. So that was our first attempt to really say, OK, so the thing that we didn't do in 1994, 20 years later, we can have a go at this now. So there were, I can remember the queues, you know, going up the stairway to the to the lounge at Starks Park for people buying their tickets for the Ramsons Cup final. And you were asked, you didn't have to give out information, but you were asked on your way and as you're standing in the queue, can you give us your name, an email address, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, and we started the work from there. But it's been a, a really, really hard sell, even with with us, with, with supporters running it, volunteering to do that for the club. It was actually quite a hard sell to get to get the club's permission to do that for them. And it is for them. Um, so it was a, a little bit frustrating that that is uh, that in the twenty first century, you know, you know, commercial operations don't really see the value of that to that to that degree. Yeah, and and I think it's there's also it's just that what you can do if you if you use that data correctly is is for, can be formidable in a good way for clubs. Yeah. You know, if, uh, especially if you can link it to your your retail uh, outlet if you have control of that, but also just. I mean, there's. I think we all know. Like, there's nothing worse than being get, getting a targeted email that makes an assumption about you that's wrong, yeah. um, or you know, tries to sell you tickets to something you've already got tickets for, uh, and and that or 
the, the, pre, the other element of that is just constantly trying to tell you something, sell you something even. Um, it's, it's a difficult way to go, but yeah, and that's, uh, that, there's elements of the, that that data capture is still not happening. I know I know of clubs that have run you pay what you want uh, events, uh, you and encouragement to try and get people through the door. Which is all, which is fine as a one-off hit, and a, you know, it, it, it sometimes works, and sometimes it doesn't. But if you don't capture the fans coming through the door and, and give them an opportunity to to engage with the club again, mm-hmm. then really, what was it for? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and to be fair, I know, I know there have been some clubs. So I think Motherwell did a, a big sort of fan survey last year and a big um, exercise. And I think there are other clubs. I mean, when we've done the survey. Um, we can break it down club by club in terms of you know of the thirteen pe- thirteen thousand people that respond to it. Break it down club by club, and some of those clubs do ask for their for their fans' data to get a better understanding of their motives for attending games or what the kind of three biggest factors are that influence their decisions. So um, I think um, yeah, there are there are some some clubs, but I think you are absolutely right. The overall majority perhaps are neglecting a huge piece of insight that actually mm. isn't costing them any money either. Um, yeah, yeah, especially if it's yeah if it's already there, then mm. and, and also there's elements you don't necessarily have to do anything with it in the first few years, but even being able to track it as a, a track the trends mm, is, yeah. is 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 interesting enough and I, and I, I, I say with the the centralized ticking it, it wouldn't it wouldn't there's no silver bullets in scottish football and, and this wouldn't be one but you know because you don't want to lose what is a still core of your business which is the pay at the gate mm. just turning up and and the clubs that clubs that have tried to you know, introduce um you know, ticket pods and things like that it just doesn't it makes it if people are missing kickoff it is something that is going to annoy them. It's not, you know, you you still you're still not capturing what you need to capture at that stage either. Yeah, that, the ticket pod is one of my my pet hates. Um, you know, having to stand in one queue to buy your ticket, then stand in another queue to hand it over at, at the turnstile just does my head, and I, I I can't really I can't really understand what the issue is. And I kind of get it in bigger clubs where you know they're trying to manage queues and trying to get people in the ground gradually. But when that happens, relatively small. Uh, with, with with relatively small crowds, uh, I just don't I just don't I don't understand the logic at all. Mm. Yeah, I, often I think a lot of wheezes are uh, are pulled together by people who are never going to have to deal with the consequences of it. If you know what I mean, so they get the, you know, the, yeah. the police might suggest that, but that's because it's making life easier for the police as opposed mm. to is this making it easier for the fan that's having to stand out in the rain for 10 minutes extra yeah. to get through a turnstile yeah. uh, and I think if they were in, if they were having to deal with the consequences of those uh, decisions then they might be suggesting uh, maybe fan friendlier options yeah you uh, so you mentioned there about the um, uh, I'm trying to make sure I get the right acronym right the uh, baseball league in America what's that called yeah, uh, MLB. MLB. Yeah, that's correct. So the so kind of a, a a move more towards that kind of centralized system, like a lot of the other American um, sporting systems, where perhaps the league have a, a greater element of control. Do you think that's something? I suppose two two folds to this question. One that would be a good thing for Scottish football if there was a kind of a more centralized approach, and then secondly, um, would it work? I suppose is a, a more difficult question. Yeah. Um, do I think centralization is a good thing? Not, not in all walks of life, but I think certainly within football, I think it would be a good thing. I think the SPFL is kind of a, a strange organisation where, uh, at its core, it doesn't really have uh, much executive power. Um, you know, even even things like the disciplinary uh, system is is uh, sort of outsourced to the to the SFA. I think 
it's difficult because you don't you don't want to be overly harsh because I think there's a lot of probably quite good people working with the SPFL and stuff like that. But Mike's from what I what I know is you know, within the SPFL that you have one and a half two full time members of staff doing digital stuff, which we're, we're told is the, the future. At MLS, it's 110. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and some of them work full time at the clubs. Um, you know, and, and obviously we're talking the, the population in America is, is significantly bigger, um, but the, but it's only a, a 22 year old league as well. Mm. You know, there's no uh, they've had to build it up from the bottom, um, and so I think I you know, if you, I don't I don't think you'd want to go down the deal where you're doing centralised um, commercial deals on on things like kits and stuff like that because I think uh, it, it that level of uniform uniformity. Yeah, well, basically having the same strips or kit models doesn't work. But I think there's probably um, there's some elements of, of centralisation that that could work. Now, whether I think it would work um, is is no, frankly, because I think uh, we we are dominated by two uh, two clubs who. And this is not an anti-old firm thing. It's just, it's just a, a power dynamic that you when you have two clubs that, whose revenue. Uh, and turnover far outstrip uh, everyone else's. Uh, it's not necessarily in their interest to act on, on behalf of, yeah. the, of the, the, the the other forty clubs, uh, and that's you know, that's just life, and and that's what we what uh, we have to deal with as, as a league. Um, and I don't uh, and there's and uh, there's an el- the final element I suppose is that it's a membership organisation, the SPFL, and so uh, the criticisms, when I hear criticisms of the SPFL from clubs and from managers, uh, but it's more likely from the boardrooms of of, uh, of clubs, is uh, I, I, I often find it weird because they're only executing what the clubs want them to do. Mm. It's, it's not as if there are fan representatives uh, yeah. uh, you know, sitting within, within the SPFL board. I think there are some non-exec directors uh, but I could be wrong on that. But you know, is is ultimately everything the SPFL does is because the clubs want them to. It's a yeah. club-run organisation. Um, and but I think, truthfully, I think a lot of the clubs like it like that. Is that they like the idea that, that there's this um, uh, executive core at the centre that they can blame a lot of problems <laughs> on, uh, uh, rather than than uh, take action themselves. So we've just found out what a Neil Doncaster is for. Yeah. Well, yeah. He is. He is uh, a <laughs> guy. I don't, I don't know him personally. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't think he probably wants to know me personally. But uh, I, he's a he's a human shield for the clubs, and and uh, he will he will remain there as long as the clubs want him there, and as long as he keeps doing the job that keeps uh, fans angry at the SPFL rather than at the clubs themselves. Yeah. Uh- I'm conscious not to move too too far away from from the topic, but I do have another question on that. What do you think the SPFL's role should be in terms of Scottish football? Because I think they probably see themselves as a competition organiser. Um, I wonder if you think they should be more than that, and and whether this is something that they should consider doing as a benefit to their members. Because um, last year, um, Andrew Barrowman, uh, the former professional, came out to interview um, Supporters Direct about a, a dissertation he was writing. Um, on the SFA and the SPFL and Scottish football as a whole, whether or not they, there is a need for two organisations. I know we've only really gone from three to two, but I wondered what your views were on that, Duncan, and, and what you thought the SPFL's role within this is. Yeah, I think it's a it's, it's an interesting relationship. I think it, it's it's made all the more 
um, bizarre when you consider that they are a floor apart or, or along a corridor even at Hamden Park. Um, I can understand why you would want to have the league and the association separate, uh, but do we really need that in in a, a country of five million, where you ninety know, percent of the population are within an hour of Perth? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure that uh, if you were to start again, you would you would have this current setup. Um, but yeah, I think that. But there is the, the, what's the role of the SPFL is 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 an, is a, an interesting question. Maybe so something that Neil Doncaster asks himself uh, quite often as well, uh, because you know, what what is its role? Is it purely just to be a competition organizer, or is it a a, a membership organization for the clubs? Uh, and then it's up to the clubs to decide. You know, because who who is to market Scottish football? Is it the is it the league's responsibility? Is it the SFA's responsibility? Um, and, and or is it the clubs themselves? And and, and I think that when you look, we are such a, a football mad nation, and yet there's not that great deal of evidence. You it's, it's not it's not in our tourism, uh, and, and maybe that's sort of, there's a reason why the Scottish government might not want to put Scottish Scottish football forefront of its tourism messaging and stuff like that. But it does let you know there's no a lot of the clubs. Um, are either out of towns or uh, hidden away in parts of different parts of town, but there's no um, celebratory nature of what is our national game. In the same way that you, you when you drive past Murrayfield or you come past it on the train or the tram, it's it's making a big visual impact. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting one actually. When you talk you talk about you know Scotland's role in the development of of football, you know it's our national game, but also. Um, we invented the passing game, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> and there's there's so many innovators in the in the game that have come from Scotland. I was reading an article uh, just uh, just last night um, about um, what's his name, Johnny Madden, um, who went to Prague to Slavia Prague, a Scottish guy who went out there and um, was an innovator and is and this is in the late eighteen hundreds, I think, or maybe the very early part of the the twentieth century, and he's a national hero there, but he's not he's unheard of in Scotland. Um, so we we almost you know we've got a tendency to hide our, our light under a bushel really, um, yeah, as, as a nation. Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's also a uh, there is a there's an element of of misery amongst Scottish football fans that uh, which I think we quite enjoy as well. There's an element of the I know I think it's that's shared in some boardrooms. You know, this idea of that the games uh, it's just a case of managing the decline, um, um, and you know there's there's, there's Plenty of evidence suggests that is the case, but is uh, that we don't necessarily have to accept that. Uh, we can go, we can we can change the game if we if we want to. Hmm. One one thing I noted, I think even just yesterday, um, was Aston Villa had brought out a new season ticket card, and it had all your games stored on it. But you could also preload it with. Um, money so you could preload it with money and you could spend that in the stadium or you could you know you could buy uh drinks and, and food on it now a couple of people when i posted this on twitter a couple of people had kind of hit back and said well i think ajax have been doing this for years and the other thing if it is it's a bit of a rip-off because you put five pound on it yeah, i think it's a minimum spend of five pound for example mm-hmm. and the food in the stadium's already you know massively yeah well, that, that, up. That very far <laughs> yeah exactly so um i mean there's obviously a few criticisms of it but um, 
and I've even noted in the last season or so, a few clubs in Scotland have now got digital turnstiles in place. And I think they've had a few few issues along the way, some of them. Uh, but I think those those issues are being ironed out. Um, is, is this an inevitability, do you think, in Scottish football? Or is, as you say, is Scottish football going to be resistant to, to change? And, and, you know, the beauty of it is that it's perhaps stuck in its ways. Uh, I th- there's an, the, 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 there's a, a stubbornness which I do quite enjoy about Scottish football to a degree, but it's also it's just not um, consonant with with the modern world. No. Um, you, know, I, 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 you know, I, I, an example of that is I was in Copenhagen. I think this was even two years ago. I went to an FC Copenhagen match, which uh, they they played in the national stadium, uh, and that was you know it was a breeze to get to you. Know, uh, Quite a welcome environment, so, but even then they have a an app where you can order your your food and and your beer, um, which obviously the Danes are trusted to to consume <laughs> within their stadium without without going wild. Um, you know, that you could order that pre order that on on your app and you just turn up and you uh, you you pick it up because if, if you look at the Scottish Road on the speaking of my own experience at Easter Road, you know, it's a it's a wildly inefficient system mm-hmm. uh you know in terms of you go in and there's a big queue when you with before game a huge queue at halftime so in fact that everyone is ordering you know, pretty much a lot the same like you even even the theater of, of, of cracked this code by you know, pre-ordering your mm-hmm. your your drinks and snacks uh, before the, before the match never and that's not even using technology um but even even the offering is is still stuck in in a very old fashioned way of doing it. It's this idea that uh, well, the game will be getting off at three o'clock, so at that point, all you really want is a is a pie. Uh, you know, it doesn't take into account actually the the hectic lives people lead in. You might want something more substantial, or you might want something lighter, or you might, for example, be a vegan, or you know, the, the, yeah. there's the it's kind of a, a like it and lump it. Uh, attitude, which I think is is fine, uh, maybe down in, in the lower leagues, and that's not meant to sound patronising. But you know, there's also if you've only got one catering stand, then there's there's a there's a, a spatial limit in terms of what you do. But at some of the bigger stadiums, I'm I'm astounded by the 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 lack of imagination in what you're doing, and especially if you compare it to to what happens in in the states. I mean, it's uh, it's night and day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have the. I, it's in some some respects, I really like the sort of the, the idiosyncratic, um, you know, football fare of a pie and a bovril. It's the only time I would ever drink bovril in, in my life. I never get home from work in the evening and think, oh, I'm, I find say we drink. Oh, where's the bovril? Um, you know, so there's something about you know, it's it's just part of the, the Scottish football nature of it. But yeah, practically speaking, yeah, not everybody likes pies. Not everybody likes bovril. Um, and as you say, you 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 know. Our, our lives have different patterns than, um, than they did when Scottish football and the three o'clock Saturday kickoff was invented. You know, so some people are, are ready for a full meal there. Some people want different things. You know, yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. nobody had heard of vegans back then when Johnny Madden yes, was around. Uh, but uh, you know, if, if you're uh, if it's a lunchtime kickoff, for example, and actually you're a a, a, a young mum or a yet dad, uh, but your kids are also playing in a game that morning, you you have to be very well prepared in terms of having preparing lunch beforehand otherwise you're going to be having to buy you know relatively unhealthy food at a a pretty big markup Uh, and okay maybe some people will come hit back and say well you 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 are uh, that's their fault for for not being organized but but the fact of the matter is we all leave far more chaotic lives than we did even 30 years ago yeah um 
one final thing that we're going to start asking you'll be our, our guinea pig uh, Duncan one one final All thing right. we want to ask <laughs> is um, if you could change one thing about Scottish football what would it be and would it be the centralised ticketing system uh, if I was given one thing I, I'm not sure the centralised ticketing would be I mean I think I would if, if given the choice I would give a new chief executive the powers of a, a commissioner like exists in, in American sports and that basically they are appointed to do the role and they still have to govern with the sport of the clubs, but they are given a lot more power um, to determine things. Um, I think that would be a, a significant thing that that, that, that in their role, their remit is to uh, keep the, the league relevant and uh, sustain the league for for generations, as I think far too many of our clubs that are, are uh, operate month to month, season to season, uh, and in some cases you week to week, uh, and we don't necessarily have a, a number of uh, big thinkers, and and you're given that sort of executive power to be removed. So this idea that you're favouring one team over another, which you know, happens because this clubs are elected on the SPFL board and uh, and things like that, uh, to have a, a commissioner who has real independence from the clubs, but tells them what to do for the benefit of the for the game, and within that remit is an element of uh, of looking after the fans as well, because that doesn't really factor in anywhere that uh, and and even you know even compared to, to other sports leagues you know that that uh, the, there's no player representation really you know with it built into uh, the spfl mm. and i think if we're doing stuff like having a move towards uh more games in the season or uh, more uh, artificial surfaces why why wouldn't the players want, uh, want to be consulted on that as well as the fans mm. but uh you know that would be my starter for 10, but I could probably be here for, for a couple of days with uh, <laughs> suggestions. And I'm sure we will invite you back on at another point if, you'll, uh, if you'd like to come back. back at that yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we, we could pick up on some, some of those others. That sounds good. Great. Really good talking to you, Duncan. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, take care. Brilliant. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So there we go. That was Duncan Mackay there talking about a centralised ticketing system, whether we should have one, whether it's realistic to, to think we might have something like that in the future. Personally, I mean, that's, that's the title of the article. I read that and I go, that's common sense. That, that, that's yeah. something that should happen. However, uh, understanding all the intricacies of Scottish football and the way decisions are you know, happening, I'd love the idea of a kind of a more centralised role for, for the SPFL or SFA in terms of improving that match day experience for supporters. And as, as you say, you know, removing barriers rather than, than putting yeah. them up to fans to get into football. That's, that's what we need, more fans going to games. Yeah, it's interesting. Such a simple idea, but I think Duncan recognises and he's very you know, clear and, and open about that, you know, that he doesn't actually think it will happen. Mm. But I think it's the kind of simple idea that works elsewhere that Scottish football should be learning from. I mean, Duncan obviously knows quite a bit about um, about sports over, over the other side of the Atlantic and the way the North American sports are organised. And there's loads that we could learn from from what's a very, very commercially successful uh, version of sport over there. Uh, but without losing the soul of what makes Scottish football unique, uh, the pie and ball roll, uh, you know, the, the turnstiles and, and that, that whole match day experience. But there's, there's hopefully some middle ground that mm. Scottish football could find in between the two. Mm. And this week's interview 
feeds in quite nicely to next week's interview as well, doesn't it, in terms of um, identity of Scottish football and who, how that comes about. And we're going to be speaking to a guy called Ed Norval, who's written a piece about why Scottish football should be more punk. And that feeds back to our very first episode on punk football. Yeah. So if you haven't listened to that, go back to the start. It's all available to listen. And we have a new fancy podcast thing that Alan set up now. Yeah, we've, we'll uh, we'll link this on the on the Twitter account, and so you can see different ways of uh, of subscribing to the podcast and listening in in different podcast platforms. Um, but in the meantime, before next week, if you if you want to get in touch, contact us at behindthegoals at hotmail dot com. Um, the inbox isn't. Uh, bursting at the seams yet so you'll get yes. your message in there yes. um, you know, let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about uh, and if there's anything you'd like to hear less of tell us that as well unless you say us too <laughs> <laughs> you may be stuck with us for a while <laughs> uh, thanks very much for, for tuning in and hopefully we'll catch you next week <laughs>